Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast. My name is Matthew, and joining me um, is Simon, which Hello. is the usual state of being. How are you today, yeah, I'm just, Simon? I'm just back again. Sorry to everyone listening. Um, I'm yeah, fine. We, I'm good. We both apologize sincerely that Simon is not, in fact, Rachel. Yeah, I, although a, a, a movie podcast with my wife would be a very different podcast, and I think you should do it one day um, because you will learn a lot about the holiday. Yeah, and, and just uh, just for the records, uh, Simon's wife Rachel is not our friend and colleague Rachel. Just in case oh, anyone was going to get that. Oh up. God, I thought you would. I thought you talked about my Rachel. Oh God, the no. other Rachel. We we don't talk about the other Rachel because she's uh, she's too good. Yeah, and, she's um, much better at this than we are. We fair. can't we can't risk having her on again. <laughs> too much of a risk. Uh Rachel, if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. I haven't spoken to you in ages, but um I'm I am sure you're being wholly successful. Yes, you should definitely get my Rachel on the podcast, definitely at some point. And we should get your wife on the podcast at some point because she knows she really knows her um uh very she's got very tight knowledge of that kind of Nick Cage numbers era of movies as well as <laughs> As well as uh, all, all horror, basically. She knows the stuff. I actually built my wife a website, which is inactive because she doesn't use it. But it's called Dance Horror Corner. And uh, I uh, <laughs> I wish she would, though, because she does have some... She has a deep knowledge of horror, and she has some very strong opinions that she's not afraid to share. So oh, She just needs a letterbox. Why can't she not just start letterboxed? I just... I don't know. Because all it needs is one line after every movie, and I would read the shit out of that. I want her to start making lists on there so I can start watching stuff. Yeah, I would love for her to do that too, and she to, thus far has refused. Who are you? Yeah, well, keep working on that. I've only um, been asking her since two, 2016, um, but yeah, I'll keep going for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you'll get there eventually. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about Friday. Uh, Friday was minus 21 here. Um, felt like minus 21, which let me tell you, there's a certain coldness where your brain can't really comprehend how cold it is anymore. And that was that day. So my son went to school. We, we decided to keep the kids home because it was too cold. Uh, but my son went to school at the end, but that's a different story. So my daughter was here, like cross-stitching and writing short stories inspired by Zorro, as you do. And in the afternoon, she came and uh, cross-stitched in my office while I did some Excel drudgery. And so, of course, we put on the laser disc of 1993's Super Mario Brothers because uh, she hadn't seen it. And let me tell you, that movie is proof positive that there was cocaine involved in the 90s in Hollywood. Like, a lot of cocaine. Because I don't think anyone, well, I know for a fact, no one in Nintendo actually uh, supervised the film. And I'm not sure anyone who made the film had ever played the video game. And it is wildly, wildly entertaining movie. I hadn't seen it before. And uh, uh, I thoroughly you recommend had, it. You hadn't, you hadn't seen, seen it, it before? I hadn't seen it. Like many, many movies, including the uh, two-rated Cradle of Life, have got such terrible reputations I never bothered. And I've watched them both in the last week and really, really enjoyed both of them. But the Mario Brothers movie is like a time capsule of whatever was happening in the early 90s. Uh, with Dennis Hopper and awful CG and great puppetry, and uh, at, well, at one point the um, the two goons who are really stupid get through go through the devolving machine. Except it makes them really really clever, and to show that they are now clever, they both speak with British accents, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> 
really, really enjoyed. It's <laughs> an absolute batshit movie and is a little bit rapey and it's just uh, uh, really, really entertaining. I, I mean, there's a there's a lot of movies from the 80s and 90s that are a little bit rapey that we still love today. <laughs> the prime example being Ghostbusters. Oh, um, uh, so, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm just going to preface this by saying, if you're trying to dispel your reputation as being mildly contrarian, saying that <laughs> Cradle of Life and the Super Mario Brothers movie are good and enjoyable is not going yeah, to be the case they are enjoyable in a in the in the context <laughs> of when they were made my my daughter loved it because it's so um, it's just so you don't really get the lunatic fringe of movies kids movies anymore everything is as seen by modern mario brothers everything is sterilized and and proofread and gone through numerous like test screenings I don't think yeah. I don't think there was a single test screening for Mario Brothers ninety three. I don't think they even knew they'd finished it. It just ended up in production and distributed, and she kind of liked that. Yeah, you're not wrong. And what I was going to say is that though is that, like everybody has their bad movies. They love. like I'll be the first to admit that I hold the Last Starfighter in basically the same regard as Star Wars, even though it is a <laughs> shitty video game movie that came out to basically ride the wave that Star Wars created. But God damn it, I love that movie. I love it a lot. It's got a lot of heart. Yeah, it's got a lot of heart. That's a good way to put it. Um, and uh, by the same token, the 90s Mario Brothers movie has a lot of cocaine. <laughs> and just so much. And so like a lot cocaine. of, probably a lot of speed as well. And... Uh, <laughs> And if nothing else, it's got several <coughs> scenes of Dennis Hopper chewing the ever-loving shit oh, out of the scenery. Oh my god! And that's never yeah. a bad thing. It's never. I you know, and, and like, and as much as I'm saying that, like, um, the Super Mario Brothers movie is bad. On a related note, a related Dennis Hopper note, like I full-heartedly enjoy Waterworld. Um, I still haven't seen it. You've to, got the fancy the, like import the tomb, box set. Yeah. Uh, I own the like Arrow Video Special Edition UHD <laughs> of Waterworld. Um, so you call me contrarian? And, That's pretty contrarian. Uh, I will. So I'll I'll say two things. One, just to reiterate, everyone has the shit that they love, and that's totally fine. <laughs> all, all opinions about art are valid, unless you're validating Nazism or something. Um, but also, like, I will say that at least Waterworld has had a bit of a critical reevaluation in the last like ten years. <laughs> has it? Has it though? Yeah. Otherwise, there wouldn't be an Arrow Video Special Edition for people to buy. <laughs> there's no. There's no like a specialty imprint version uh, UHD of the Super Mario Brothers movie from the '90s. And when that shows up, I will concede that there must be an audience for it. Um, but it doesn't have that, so I can at least cling to that as my semblance of mainstream opinion um but honestly who cares it's not a good movie it's just ocean mad max and it's it's fine it's totally fine and again dennis hopper chewing the shit out of the scenery is never a bad thing mm, that's true he really does go for it he really on, does on a, on a similar parallel i just want to point out that every single line that anthony hopkins delivers in the legend of zorro is he should have got an Oscar. They should make an Oscar for best line delivery and then give him like a hundred of them for that movie alone. It is a masterclass on how to make every word count. It's fantastic. So my favorite Anthony Hopkins line read, which I believe is also, also Oscar worthy, is from a movie that was written by David Mamet and directed by Lee Tamahori. 
called The Edge. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but it's it's uh, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin lost in the wilderness versus a bear. And the bear is a man eater and it's taunting them. And at one point it like they end up like surrounded. They build a fire and surround themselves with fire so the bear can't get to them overnight. And they have this like and Alec Baldwin's character is like lost faith that they're going to survive. And so Anthony Hopkins has to like rev him up to get him to like fight the bear. And he, so he goes through the whole scene where he's like, say it with me now. What one man can do, another can do. What one man can do, another can do. And they're repeating it back to one another. And then it does a long, slow zoom in on Anthony Hopkins as he says, and today I'm going to kill the motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. You have it's, the the right Welsh lilt for him as well. Wonderful. It's, it's so good. It's uh, that movie is so it's a it's a perfect B movie like it's such a well made movie <laughs> and it's written by David Mamet so you get that really like punchy snappy dialogue yeah that that Alec Baldwin might have been the best actor ever to deliver. Um, Do you know I still haven't seen Glengarry Glen Ross. I mean, that's that should be on my list somewhere, shouldn't it? It should. It should. That movie's difficult today, actually. Um, to be perfectly clear, that movie's a masterpiece, and. Um, if you get a chance to see it on stage, because it's a it's a Pulitzer Prize winning play first, and the play is incredible. I saw it here in Vancouver. Uh, the Arts Club Theater put it on like mm. a decade ago. More than that, actually. Uh, but anyway, um, it's difficult today though because you know Alec Baldwin has had some serious allegations and has involved been involved in the shooting of a person, and also Kevin Spacey is in it. Um, mm. Well, it's uh, it's 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 actually relatively available as far as I know. Um, it's also if you can get past, especially for me, it's the Kevin Spacey of it all. To be totally honest, I have a hard time with that today. But it's also like that was the movie that Al Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for and didn't win, but it was okay because he won Best Actor the same year, Percent of a Woman. <laughs> I get two <laughs> oh. nominations in in one year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was just thinking, yeah, it is a David Mamet. There's one, I love David Mamet and I love his delivery, but there's one of his movies that I really, really disliked that I thought was awful. And that's, I think it's got Spacey in it as well. No, it's got Gene Hackman in it from 2001, Heist, which just doesn't work at all for me. Have you seen Heist? I haven't seen it in, I have seen it, but I don't think it's, I don't think I've seen it since it was new. Um, it's one of those few occasions where the Mamet dialogue just feels clunky and, and forced. No, if you want to see a great David Mamet movie, the one I always recommend, and I think you will either really love or really hate, but the one I always recommend is The Spanish Prisoner, which is uh, Campbell Scott and Steve Martin and Rebecca Pigeon. And I've not even heard of it. It's, uh, it's a, it was a really small movie in the late 90s, and Campbell Scott plays a guy who's invented an industrial process. You never know what the process is or what it does, or even how much money it's going to generate for the people who own it. You just know that it's a substantial amount. Like, even in the moment where, when he's explaining it, he, at the beginning, it's all very general. And when he's like, and if you implement this process in your system, it'll generate this much revenue for you. And he writes the number, like, like below the frame, so you can't see it. So all you know is that it's super valuable. And then he's conned out of it. The whole movie is a con story. Super well done. Mm. But it's one of those movies that was one of the formative movies to me because it really hammered home like what is imp- what is important to tell the story? Because like ultimately mm. 
you don't need to know what the process is or what it does or how much money it needs. All you know is that it's valuable and it's a thing mm -hmm. that can be taken. And that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. it's also one of the rare, it was one of the, at the time at least, rare occasions where it's Steve Martin in a totally straight, non-comedic role. And, and that was, I think, the first time I'd seen him ever seen him do that, which was a bit of a hmm. revelation for me. I might check that out. I yeah. uh, what's your what's your single line take on the Mamet written and directed movie from two thousand and four Spartan, which I've had on DVD for about a decade and never actually watched it. That's a great Val Kilmer movie. You should definitely watch it. Oh, good. Okay. Um, it's that's the one I believe that like a the daughter or the child of a, a rich person or a powerful person is taken and Val Kilmer is the guy called in to get her back. Um, I don't think it's his most successful movie, but it's a good movie. Mm -hmm. If I, if I remember, if it's the one I'm remembering it is anyway, <laughs> it's another one I haven't seen in quite a while. Um, just when you were talking about uh, Steve Martin in a serious role, it just triggered a, something I learned this week. That um, when I was young, I watched the 1972 Poseidon Adventure a lot. I love that movie because it was terrifying to me. And I did not know until this week that, let me make sure I've got this correct. You're about to tell me that, that Leslie Nielsen is the captain. Leslie Nielsen is the captain of that boat. And I don't, I've. I know that Leslie Nielsen did serious roles before Airplane, and that's what made his delivery in Airplane so perfect because he finds that balance of serious comedy. But I'd never, I've never actually seen Leslie Nielsen in a straight role, except I have because I've seen Silent Adventure like multiple mm -hmm. times when I was very, very young, and uh, but not enough to to recognize that it was him. I was just looking mm -hmm. up when Airplane was made to make sure I've got my uh, my dates right, and I, I have. So this was 72 and the airplane was 1980. So I really want to go back to Poseidon Adventure to to try and catch Leslie Nielsen in a straight role. Is it are you able to take straight Leslie Nielsen seriously after now he is so established as post airplane like comedy roles? So to be perfectly fair, I haven't seen a lot of his because he was at his beginning he wasn't just taking straight roles. He was like very like took very like heavy dramatic roles. Um, but at the same time, he also was in Forbidden Planet, which is like, you know, the genesis and inspiration of so much of 60s sci-fi. So, mm -hmm. um, but that's, that's a totally straight role. Like it's not a comedy. It's, mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's the, the, many people hold it up as like the inspiration for Star Trek. Um, All right. cool. and it's not like he never did, um, it's not like he never did comedies. He just didn't do the like slapstick thing until Airplane. Um, mm -hmm. But the genius of Airplane, which we we did an Airplane episode on this podcast, but the genius is that everyone who's in it was a very dramatic actor at the time. So every single line is delivered with the gravitas of a Shakespearean play. And that that's not just Nielsen. That's also Robert Stack and Rupert Graves. Mm, um, yeah, yeah. And Lloyd Bridges and like basically all the big parts are played by these really dramatic actors playing this ridiculous material totally straight, mm. and it uh, it really works. Yeah. Well, good. I feel like we could pinball around all these things we love for a while, but should we get into one of the two things we're talking about this week? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we probably should. Let's let's let's. Uh... Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I know you don't want to. I'm not looking forward to this, just to be perfectly clear, because we're going to talk about two things, which one of which is fine and the other, which is a huge disappointment. And that's always my least favorite version of the show. 
Well, let's get into the one that's a huge disappointment first. And spoiler alert, um, I find this series very, very, very frustrating. Let's talk about Marvel's Echo. So for those of you who don't know, Echo is a character who was introduced in the Hawkeye TV show three, two years ago, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is a deaf and an amputee, and she is a hitman and leader within the tracksuit mafia, which is a crime group that is ultimately controlled by the Kingpin. And through the course of Hawkeye, she learns that maybe she's the bad guy, and she, at the end, she shoots Kingpin in the face, and she escapes. This show picks up several months later. Even though it's been two years since that show, I think it's actually only meant to be like six months later. The timeline's a bit confused. Um, and she's now on the run and she's single-handedly like going from place to place, taking out Kingpin's operation. Um, and then she gets to her hometown of Oklahoma where she was raised. Her dad was a member of the tracksuit mafia and lots of her extended family members, or at least one major one, they're all involved in this crime ring because her hometown is like a waypoint on in Kingpin's smuggling empire. And, um, then a bunch of stuff happens and uh, the show ends the end there. I did it. I got through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult uh, to summarize because the show is it's, uh, it's just so it feels very hacked together. And I know this is an artifact of like the original plan being eight episodes and then viewing the material kevin feige and other producers viewing the material and being like we can't release this this is not working and re-editing it down to six and then reshooting a bunch of stuff and ultimately releasing five episodes and so to say that the, the whole thing feels a bit hacked together i think would be an understatement for me um the plot takes echo from the first the second half of the first episode which i'll come back to in just a second she openly states that she is on a quest for revenge and trying to take over Kingpin's empire. And at the same time, there's, she's reconnecting with her family and reconnecting with this, like, um, she's an indigenous person and there's this legend of a uh, like an ancestral power that she starts tapping into. And without giving the end of the story away, she does end up tapping into it, but the show goes out of its way to show you these times when other indigenous women have tapped into this ancient ancestral power and they're all doing things to like protect their family or protect the tribe. And she is doing none of those things and it's connecting to her anyway. And it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and, and uh, you're, you're going to disagree with me on that about something. And I don't, I, I whatever, it doesn't matter. I, it, no, it doesn't not majorly. It's, it's a, Later on, it's described as the magic that helps the person when they need it, and I, I, I think it's probably loose enough for it, it like yeah, to but, help her okay. help her That's... be magic when she lets her gets her leg out of the trapped train thing. Like I don't care that much about it. Uh, it's, it's, okay, sure. I know they say that, but that's not what the show shows me. So it's incongruent, mm. at least. Um, no, I don't disagree with you there at all uh and just i don't know she's the problem with the show and the reason i'm so reticent to still talk about it because i i did write a review of this for that shelf so you can go find that if you want um but the problem with the show for me is that 
it's very frustrating because there's so many things in it to like, but none of it works, right? Like, first of all, uh, Alakwa Cox, who plays Maya Lopez, Echo herself, is phenomenal. She is, she has a really interesting screen presence. She's a total badass. She has uh, a couple of really great physical performance scenes, but so much of her performance is physical because she is actually deaf. So she's signing and talking and her body language says so much and it's really interesting and dynamic. And her story is not that great. Um, mm-hmm. You have a couple of really great supporting terms. Graham, Canadian legend Graham Greene and Tantu Cardinal are both in this. And they both act circles around ev- everyone in the way that you know older character actors only can. Um, they make such interesting choices with the way they choose to speak and the way they choose to sign and when they choose to do one or the other or both. And... It's all super interesting. There's so much interesting indigenous representation and story and so many great story points that just don't connect together. Um, You have a great up and comer. Devery Jacobs is in this. I don't know if you've seen her in anything else, but she's a great young actor and she has exactly nothing to do in the show. Um, And then when it comes to the powers themselves, they are super ill-defined. Um, which maybe that's the point. Maybe it is just like a power you can tap into when you need it to get the thing you need to do done. But like, that's just not how it's, that's how, that's how we're told it works, but that's not how it's portrayed to be working. And I feel like there's a real big disconnect between all of those things. Um, and then you also just have Vincent D'Onofrio back as Kingpin and the single best episode of the show, which I think is episode four involves basically a long extended sequence of him and Alakwa Cox just speaking to one another. And it is so wonderfully performed. There's so many great choices, so much underlying tension. And the the basis of their relationship is <clears throat> shifted from one thing to another. And that underlying tension is so well portrayed. And the fact that they should be enemies, but he very desperately wants them to not be enemy enemies because in the only in the way that only an abuser can, he still does love her. Um, and I think that that's really well portrayed. But the show is just a huge misfire. Um, I don't... There's lots of people online talking about how great it is. And there's certainly great parts about it. Um, but I, it's, it doesn't work. It does not work. It doesn't hang together. Uh, and it's about as subtle as a ton of bricks falling on a clown. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. What did you, what did you think? <laughs> I mean, for someone who didn't really want to talk about it, you've summarized exactly how I feel pretty well. Um, it's just not, it's not very good, but um, it's the kind of not very good. It's not very good at all, actually. And it's just um, a lack of creativity in the storytelling. And I think this is the wider problem that Marvel have in both their movies and TV shows is that the, the way the stories are told are the least creative versions of that story. Uh, least interesting. <clears throat> and, um, I, safest they're the safest way it's very safe the whole thing is very tepid which is it's a real shame because Alakwa Cox is fantastic and she was plucked out of nowhere to be this role this is her first like she was a special guest really in Hawkeye this is her first like leading performance and she has there's you can notice when when actors don't have a lot of capital T training sometimes it gives them a real raw presence on screen, like an absolute authenticity, because they're not 
doing any extra work, if that makes sense. They're not hiding behind anything. And there's she no, is no, so no pretension. No, no pretension. No pretense there. There's no there's no walls. She is very real in this. And I I, I love looking at her. I just love watching her exist. And I think she is so good at expression through a combination of her face and hands, which is one point that the film, that the series does not get right with other actors. And she is clearly physically very able. One of my favorite moments of the whole series is from the first episode um, where she, she kind of realizes that she, she needs to fight and she, she, there's a moment where she is treated as if she's nothing. And there's a, she lets a little smile out as she knows like she's she's an absolute badass. She feels dangerous. There's one fight with Charlie Cox. Spoiler in the first episode, so it's not really a spoiler. It's not. It's not in the. She, it's, she, it's in the trailer, which is another yeah, thing I she, want to come back to. But she lines up. He he punches her and she misses. Then she lines up a high kick, and then waits a beat before like until he's standing up in position to hit him with it, and it is just like. That's a fantastic move, and she is fantastic, and and uh, that's and Vincent D'Onofrio is. I'm sorry if I'm saying his name wrong, but I've I've never seen Daredevil, so I've never seen him as Fisk, and I always think I always thought Fisk was a difficult character because he's so in the comics he's just huge and he is so like stereotypical baddie, and uh, this guy is in both the things we're talking about this week, and he couldn't be any more different in the two things. And he finds uh, an incredible humanity to this brutal monster of a man. He is just brilliant. And that scene you mentioned is clearly the standout of the whole show, um, where they are just sat at a table. That The whole thing is really badly directed. And the only time it ever works is when the actors can transcend that. So you've got him... And Alaco Cox talking at a table, and then you've got Graham Greene and Tantu Cardinal interacting at any point. I just want to watch Corner Gas with them in Graham Greene's little electronics tinkering shop. There's also one. <laughs> there's a there's a a sequence, a scene rather, with Alaco Cox um, having a very heartfelt moment with Tantu Cardinal, and uh, it was very emotional to watch. Cardinal talks about loss and. One of my pieces of feedback for the whole thing is that the signing and speaking is handled really badly. It's not done well in terms of dramatic pacing of scenes, except when you have Tantu Cardinal, who demonstrates to us as an actor the choices she makes to integrate the speed of her speech with the speed of her signing and how they can actually bounce off each other. It was just like mind blowing to me how perfect she was in that scene when the the rest of the episode, other people who signed speaking were just so slow in their delivery. It, it destroyed every scene. I thought <clears throat> one of the major problems here as well is that echo, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a, a Marvel show that's trying to be a bit harder and a bit more graphic and a bit more fighty. And the fight choreography is dreadful. It's awful. The watch the um <clears throat> the you first mean, scene that has a big fight, and you can count. You lose the number of times you lose fingers to count the number of times you see people waiting for the next move and telegraphing their moves. The editing in in there's a big fight in a roller ring is some of the worst fight editing I've I've ever seen. 
and so I just I'm just going to interrupt and say right. that it doesn't yeah. it doesn't actually matter how bad how good or bad the fight choreography scenes the fight choreography is because there's only one scene where you can see it. Like there's 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 three big fight well, scenes in, in the show. There's one there's one in the first episode. There's one in a roller rink in the third episode, and then there's the big finale. And in the second and third of those things, there is so much editing and cutting that you can't see any of it. It doesn't. Well, at least in the, in the third one, you barely see. It. They cut away to this like sub story for most of the fight in the third one. So there's no yeah. tension there at all. The you're right. The editing in the second one is so bad that it actually destroys any work they've put into the choreography at all. Um, and at least the first I, one, I like think... you can sort of you can see the the. You can see the telegraphing in the first one, but at least it's well intentioned and and like it's got some it's, fun moments for it's sure. It's got some fun moments and like the, the both her and Charlie Cox and I'm sure whatever stuntman because it's filmed as a one take, but it I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, they definitely no, it's cheated. Not. It's definitely, um, not, yeah. <clears throat> but like you can tell that everyone involved is like having a blast making it. Like they're all putting mm-hmm. their all into it, and it's just like it's only it's only very slight that you can tell that it's choreographed. Like once it's one of those things that once you see it, it's hard to not see. Um, and is, if you know anything about like actual fighting, you can definitely see it. But like, yeah. I would say it's not, it's by far not the most egregious thing I've seen, even in a Marvel project. Um, and, uh, it, but I, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter though, because like in all, in basically every other fight scene, it's so hacked to pieces. You can't see it. It doesn't, and that's, I think that's an even bigger problem. I think it's a much bigger problem. I, I've, for me, they're equal problems. Cause I watch fight choreo, choreo a lot. I'm, I'm really into good fighting and, and what goes into it. And, um, it's just not good enough for me. Like this Marvel has the money. They're not some indie startup show. Like, like say, uh, what's that Karate Kid show? Um, uh, the remake YouTube Karate Kid show that they did, the baddie, uh, Cobra Kai, right? Mm-hmm. Cobra Kai, zero budget YouTube show that got four seasons out of just being good with brutal, punchy, like crunching fight choreography. They, Marvel has a, an incredible amount of money. They have incredibly huge uh, a viewer inst- installed viewer base already there's bunches of people that are going to watch this no matter what it's like they can afford to have people who do things with creativity and to, and who make things that are that are not just fine and this whole series is just so tepid there's such a lack of inspiration and creativity the third episode is basically a bottle movie in a roller rink where she's trapped and then the goons arrive and then she takes them out that should be a, a, a build up of tension until that that the the cork pops, and it's it's almost impressive how completely devoid of any tension or build up that episode is. It's just yeah. really well, and, bad. And then how like there's a moment at the end of that where the tension is is broken, and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's so haphazardly handled that it doesn't like it yeah. doesn't work. Right, like there's yeah. a there's a moment where like they're they're about to lose and then they don't lose and and the the way oh. like that could have been this is my this probably encapsulates my problem with the show is that that moment could have been an amazing moment but it is so poorly handled that it just doesn't work and it just comes off as being like unbelievable you know like yeah. it doesn't it's a tension break it comes as a, it as is. a like what? absolutely like what absolutely. just happened hundred percent and and then also see the end of the entire series. 
I I actually texted you as I, it was ending and said, there's no way they're ending like that. Like, that's not an ending. There's no ending here. And it just feels completely chopped to pieces by someone who doesn't really, either doesn't get how to build dramatic tension or doesn't care about it. Like, uh, did they just throw this out the door? Did they throw it out to be buried? I don't know. But it's a shame because it's a great idea. It's a great to have a leading, uh, an indigenous woman, deaf amputee signing. Like, the opportunities here to do something different are incredible. The most interesting part are the uh, the indigenous flashbacks to the elders, which are visually interesting. And there's well, one... I think it's also... One... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the... Uh, you correct me, it's not lacrosse. Whatever their version of lacrosse was, stickball, I think stickball you called it. Called, yeah. there's, there's, there's great, a really good scene about one of her elders needing the, the magic family magic to get through a sports game. Uh, and and um, it's great. Like this is this is one of many things I've watched this year with indigenous content, uh, 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 like authentic indigenous North Native American content that have those pieces have by far away been the most interesting parts of that story. So hopefully we get to see more of that because I want to see more of that. But the rest is just so tepid. Yeah, I was going to say that like. You know, it's the representation of um, people who are deaf in this movie and show is great. I really love that, like, it's just taken that everyone around her can sign because she's deaf and because her mother was deaf, too. So everyone in her whole family knows how to sign, which leads to, I think, one of the better plot points in the finale, uh, one of the better character moments in the finale, um, which, which, again, is handled with the subtlety of a 20-pound sledgehammer, though. Um, and... Uh, also, like they definitely they made this show like in collaboration with the Choctaw Nation, and I think that really shows through. Like, there's a lot of really great representation. It's never uh, like leery or like, "Hey guys, look what we're doing over here." It's just like a thing. It's really well presented, really well folded into the show. But the show has a lot of really great scenes, none of which work together in sequence to make a story of the show, and it's really frustrating. And again. It's really frustrating because again, Alakwa Cox is great, and and Vincent D'Onofrio is great, and Graham Greene is great, and Tantu Cardinal especially is great. Uh, and there's so much, there's so much that should be great that isn't, and there's so much great just buried under stuff that's pretty rote. And I don't, I, I don't yeah, get it. I, bl- I, bl- I blame the the production team wholly for wasting this opportunity in this cast. Like the script, the design, the the direction, the editing, like it's not good enough for for yeah, a, a production company of this size to make something this tepid. Yeah, and I don't get it. Like I don't get, um, I don't get where this happened. And I would love to know. And they're never going to tell us. But I would love to hear more about this. Like they made the show. They were told that it wasn't releasable, and then they went back and reshot and re-edited it into something else i would love to see where it was that it got to this point um because i don't think anyone who's involved in it is like untalented sydney freeland is not a film director really but they've made a absolute ton of tv shows including lots of good episodes of lots of good shows um everyone who's you know kevin feige is not an idiot <laughs> he's um 
I kind of wonder if this might boil down at least in part to the way that Marvel makes their shows like the upcoming Daredevil show called um, Born Again is going to be the first show with a proper showrunner, like properly made in the way that TV shows are, pro- are supposed to be made, not made like a movie and then edited into a show. And I wonder how much of a difference that's going to make. And I wonder how much of a difference that made to this show. Um, because uh, the Marvel TV series have been really, really, really uneven. And I don't, I mean, and I would say actually they've been mostly, mostly pretty good. Not, not necessarily great, but mostly pretty good, but they've been very uneven. And I wonder if them shifting to a more, you know, TV style of making TV would be a, maybe for the better. Um, but then just to come back to one other thing I just want to talk about. So they released the show and they attached it to a new banner they've created called Spotlight. And the whole thing with this they've been talking about for months with this Marvel Spotlight is that the shows are going to be more standalone, less interconnected, you know, able for casual viewers to come in. But then you lose the whole 30 minutes, first 30 minutes of a 45 minute episode of TV to recapping Hawkeye. Like, how is that disconnected? My worry here. And then like, there's a big post credit scene in the last episode that clearly sets up like ongoing continuity for this show and others. And I'm, my worry here is that when they say not as connected, what they really mean is, not as connected to the movies we're just going to make the shows connected and i think that's a huge mistake like i think the more the more it's interesting to me the more these shows the more marvel stuff gets closer to being actually like comic books the less the fans seem to like it and that really bothers me Mm. um though when you get into like weird wild wacky stuff or even if you just try to if they try to do something that is standalone fans tend to reject it and i don't get it um i mean i do i do get part of it i could probably rant about this for ages but the 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 point is that like for a show that's meant to be disconnected it sure gives a lot of time to being connected to things and i find that really again really fucking frustrating it didn't feel any different to me than watching the other shows in terms of how much pre-viewing you're expected to have done to lead up to this thing. Well, I think if your answer to, well, this one needs to be less connected, how do we do that? I think if your answer to that is we lose most of an episode to showing you mm. stuff you've already seen, that's not disconnected. Mm. That's just lazy. No, not at all. Because yeah. really, this uh, is a five-episode series, and it's really more like four episodes and a third because they lose so much to mm. to just recapping Hawkeye. Mm. I really I really hated that part of it. Yeah. So there won't be a there, there's not gonna be a, a second season of Loco. So I don't there's nothing to discuss looking forward to. But I hope she gets another chance to um maybe appear in Daredevil under a a, a better creative team. I hope they she's given a, another opportunity to to be that character, to be that person. We'll see. I mean, are we? Do we know there's not going to be more? Because they won't. They, they won't be. They just won't be. They're not going to make another Moon Knight. They're not going to make another one of these. I'd be amazed if we see another Hawkeye. Like it's the 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 shit show in, in behind the scenes of getting this out the door. I'd be amazed if they make another one. I mean, ultimately, <clears throat> I think that ultimately, I think that Marvel and I think Star Wars has the same problem. 
you know, I've said before on this show many times that The Mandalorian would be a better show if it was an anthology show with three to four episode arcs uh, where they told a story and then moved on to a different protagonist. But it was the same show, like an ongoing show that just kind of like the Clone Wars animated show was three to four episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tell oh, the a story and move well. on move on to the next one and then like you have connections that are there for those who want them and they're not there for those who don't mm-hmm. or ignorable for those who don't and i think that maybe marvel would have done better if they did that too just have to have the marvel have marvel comics presents and do mm-hmm. you know film a movie cut it in three pieces and show that as a, as a show <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think it would have been uh better but anyway how many stars are you landing on for echo Well, there's two good scenes. For, so two. For, for the record, that was a sneer and a shrug. Um, Sorry, I, on... I, I, uh, I, two. That's two for me. Barely, barely two. But uh, it's saved by the actors. It's two stars purely for the actors who rise above the tepid direction of the script work, and the actors who are not good enough look terrible in this. By the way, the, the, I don't want to pick out anyone, but the, uh, yeah. The, the actors who can rise above everything around them get two stars. Mainly, really, for those two scenes in episode four. The dinner scene and this scene with um, Michael Cox and Tattoo Cardinal. There's one scene, I would say, I think it's also in episode four with Graham Greene and Tattoo Cardinal that is excellent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems wonderful. So, yeah, how about you? That's the same. It's the same. It's for for the same reasons. I think a lot of the actors are great, and I think the characters have a ton of potential. But I don't think the show mm-hmm. is very good. I think it's a huge. I think it's a big misfire, and I mm-hmm. I find it very frustrating to have to say that. I really want mm-hmm. to like this show, um, yeah, but it's a mess. It's a total mess. So yeah, two. <coughs> Excuse mm, me. Disappointing. Okay. Well, I let's am... move. <clears throat> I am the embodiment of that gift. Disappointed! <laughs> I just... Uh, uh, I I would like them uh, to have made more swings like in uh, Moon Knight. And I know but this is a whole different conversation because we really disagree about Moon Knight. But I love the creativity and the big swings in Moon Knight. And this really needed some of that kind of weirdness seeping in. Some of the... the, the the, the less sort of grounded elements. The only difference but. between this and Moon Knight for me was that the <laughs> direction is slightly more interesting. In Moon Knight or this? In Moon Knight. Yes. And I would say that like it is it is feels otherwise feels just as slapdash and hacked together as this does. Um so yeah. It's a whole thing. It's a whole yeah conversation Let's... and it doesn't it doesn't make sense that uh it it's upsetting that a, a studio with so much money that's able to command so much talent yes would have so would do so poorly by this mm-hmm. 100% anyway well, let's um, move on to our number 2 let's let's lighten the mood a little with a kevin hart action movie <laughs> um, right, which so... is just it's a heist movie. I don't. It's a whole subgenre. Oh, there's a lot. There's a lot of action. It's uh, Ocean's Triple X. Um, it's uh, this is Lift. It came out on Netflix on Friday, and um, it's funny because Kevin Hart on the Roku channel has got two seasons of uh, a thing called Die Hard, where 
he trains stuntmen. He he plays himself uh, as an actor who wants to get more into action movies, and he trains stuntmen. He hires stuntmen to train him to be a badass movie star, and then gets involved in an act- actual action movie plot whilst not really knowing how to be an action movie star. So I find that quite entertaining when there's there's big fight scenes in this. And uh, it's basically, uh, Kevin Hart is the leader of a group of thieves and uh, a nice multinational mix of actors playing um, playing this group of thieves. And the big opening piece is that they steal an NFT from a museum. And uh, it's it's very flash. It's directed by F. Gary Gray, who directed the Italian Job remake, and also one of the Fast and Furious's, which I'm sure you'll tell me which one that was. Was it Fate, Fate of the Furious? Uh, anyway. I think it's seven, actually. And you can see there's a lot of DNA. There's a lot of Fast and Furious DNA here. There's a lot of oceans. Cool. Well, the, the I mean, intention is to have there's... a lot of oceans coolness. No, there's, uh, a, there's a there's a lot of Italian job in this. Like yeah, you can tell, yeah, if yeah. Gary Gray was basically been like, it almost feels like he's been trying to get an uh, Italian job remake or a sequel off the ground for so long that he finally said, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna do a different heist yeah. movie." And and it is complete for me. Uh, I really enjoy it when a movie uh, absolutely decides to be the best three star movie it can be. Like no pretension to be anything more than that and be flashy and be well edited and keep the pace up and have a good sort of chirping band of attractive people um, doing outrageous heists and getting out of sticky situations. It's it's pure fantasy. This is as much a fantasy movie as Lord of the Rings. It is ridiculous. Um, I do think that the, uh, the leader of a heist group, Oceans, works really, really well because um, George Clooney was made by the gods to embody charisma. Uh, Kevin <laughs> Ke- Kevin Hart doesn't have that same quality. Uh, I don't think he's a particularly... I know it's his vehicle. It's always going to re- revolve around him, but I don't think he's the right choice. And uh, there is a story thread where he and Abby, played by the luminous Gugu Mabatha Raw, um, who I just magnetic whenever she's on screen in this and Loki in everything she does she is just absolutely like a black hole on screen <laughs> wait I can phrase that better she draws your attention from... <laughs> she draws your attention is what Freezing, I Phrasing, dude Phrasing. <laughs> Jesus you know what I mean you can't take your eyes off her Jesus fuck did I just say that um anyway um there's meant to be, uh, they're meant to have once been like undercover boyfriend, girlfriend who had this hot week and there's there's meant to be sexual tension. But if you're expecting Clooney and Jennifer Lopez sexual tension, you're not going to get it. There's a couple points when they kiss and and uh, Gugu actually looks a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> kissing him. Like, she's like, eh, okay. Well, I'll let get- me just interrupt and say that if you're expecting the level of sexual tension of George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez from Out of Sight, you are always going to be disappointed because there is no film with that level of sex appeal that that exists no, other than that true. film that is pretty hot like um, that is the it, like we, we reached maybe maybe movies today are so sexless because that movie used it all up <laughs> maybe um so uh, i don't think uh, kevin hart's the right choice so he doesn't have the charisma but it's a very fun watch things happen everything uh, as soon as they mentioned like the plane has an lcd panel 
that they're using like okay right you know exactly what's going to happen in this movie the second they kind of imply it's going to happen and that's fine um it is three star popcorn throwaway uh fun really well edited and i think that's the key point with one of these things you've got to keep the the accelerator down and also uh, a nice uh, um supporting cast vincent d'onfrio plays a um a howling mad murdoch style uh, uh <laughs> like cost, costume man but he he he's the costume guy he's the guy who dresses up as different people in the different heists but he fully acts their characters like he's method acting all the time and it is glorious i wish he'd had way more to do in this movie mm-hmm. but my my favorite part of this film apart from sam worthington being australian and actually being really watchable which i wasn't ready was billy magnuson billy magnuson could be in any movie and he would add a star to that movie. Uh, <laughs> please, please go and watch Guy Ritchie's um, Aladdin live action, where he is on screen for maybe a minute and a half of that movie, and he is the best part of that movie. He is so brilliant. I love his. He's just something about him. Like he's like a child. Always. That's a really and good he's way got, to put it. <laughs> he's, he's got. He's got brilliant. Like he's happy. Got- delivery and everything and he just he's elevates got, everything he's got really wonderful and i i worry he doesn't have a lot of uh what am i trying to say i worry that he doesn't necessarily have a lot of range but what he does <laughs> but what he does have is a really wonderful dumb guy energy whether he's <laughs> whether he's playing a really smart person or a really dumb person he has that same sort of goofball super optimistic energy even when he's a bad guy, like in No Time to Die, like when it's revealed he's a bad guy in that movie, you're still like, yeah, mm. that's fine because it's Billy Magnuson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I don't think this guy's going to be starring in like the next Macbeth anytime soon, though. <laughs> you know, like, I think he's got a type and I think he's been very smart to I stick to it for the time being. I bet he could be great as Macbeth with his delivery. But also, he's uh, he should have been a Ken, really. He should have been in, in that movie. But. He not, is, yeah, not, uh, he's not beach Ken, but a Ken for sure. A Ken. Yeah. I, I just love him and I love him in this. He's just caffeined up, uh, chirpy, happy. Uh, and, and a lot of the cast, there's some actors I didn't recommend. There's a Spanish actress called Ursula Cobero, who's fantastic. There's a, a Korean singer, uh, uh, Ji Kim, who, uh, oh, Kim Yoonji, who I really, really liked. So I was just in a very happy place watching this film. It's not a, like, there's not there's no awards chatter around this movie it's exactly you know exactly what this film is going to be pretty early on and if you just let it in it's a lot of fun i mean that's pretty much it right like my my full review of this film could basically be like it's a fine way to spend like a wednesday night <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. you know it's not it's not the italian job sequel to the italian job remake that we all wanted but like what is like that movie is a is a fairly elevated version of that genre that gets by on i think we talked <gasps> in the last thing about actors sort of transcending the film they're in and i think that the chemistry among that cast is such that it really works mm-hmm. i sort of agree that kevin hart here so I've, I've, I'm of two minds is that he's not exactly charismatic enough, but I still appreciate that he's actually trying to be something other than his usual persona in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I said that last year about something. He was in a film about uh, called Fatherhood, I think, where 
I think he's quite good in that film. Actually, it's not a great movie. It's a another sort of three star thing. But like, I appreciate that he is at least trying because so many people and lots of people he's associated with, like say The Rock, with whom he's appeared in several oh. pictures at this point, just don't anymore. You know, and I I appreciate that Kevin Hart is it again at least trying out different things, seeing how it feels, seeing if he can pull it off. And I disagree that he doesn't pull it off, but he definitely like he definitely could have been a little more charismatic for sure. Yeah, but he does have a couple of great moments. Like there's a great moment. It's actually in the trailer where someone's like, "That's emotional blackmail." He's like, "No, no it's just blackmail." <laughs> just like lots of little funny moments like that that are really well put together. Um. And I think when you texted me, you were texting me as you watched this, and you were talking about like how is it that Sam Worthington is so watchable? And I'll give you the answer: it's oh. that it's that when you ask him to be something he's not, he's not very good. And when you ask him to be Sam Worthington in your show, he's actually quite good. So yeah, that's the whole thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at his filmography because I don't know if I've seen him in anything that I would say he's good in. I would like to be proven otherwise. He's quite good. There's a show. The main thing I would suggest is there's a show called, I think it's just called Unabomber, I think, where he's like the lead investigator investigating the the Unabomber, and he's very good in it. Um, and then yeah, just like Man on Ledge, pretty good. Uh, again, anytime you you ask him to be like, he's kind of like Ryan Reynolds in that way, where like they tried to force him into being the like square jawed American hero role. And he, for whatever reason is kind of just not that. And when you let him let his sort of freak flag fly, uh, or at least uh, let him choose things that he's wants to be in, he's pretty okay. Uh, he did a version of Macbeth in 2006, directed by Jeffrey Wright with guns uh, yeah. in Melbourne. I am going to, it looks like the cover looks like underworld. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you don't tell me you've seen that i haven't seen it no okay that's we that should be on our list for sure um but what else the uh, i mean i'll go to bat for avatar i think he's good in the avatar movies um but he's also meant to be that's a whole other thing but you know sabot he's good in sabotage even though that's not a great movie um Hacks- hacksaw ridge have you seen that so i think hacksaw ridge is a terrible movie but he's really good in it yeah. okay. um uh, he's good in Everest. He's good in. Interestingly, you talked before about the uh, the Clash of the Titans. I think the Wrath of the Titans is actually a. He's better in it, even if it's not as good of a movie. If that mm-hmm. is a thing that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, he's done. He's done stuff. You know, it's a. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of shit too, but mm-hmm. uh, it's again one of those things where actors got to work, and so. I think mm. when you catch the ones that he's choosing to be in, he's uh, he's actually pretty good. Oh, he was really good in uh, last year, the year before. There was a show on Disney Plus in Canada, and I think Hulu in the states called "Under the Banner of Heaven." Uh, with, oh yeah, you mentioned that with um, Andrew Garfield and mm-hmm. uh, um, a couple other people, and he's really good in that, like really good. So yeah, he's. Oh, um, to watch that. Oh, it's got White Russell in it too. Fantastic. Uh, the cast is absolutely stacked. It's and got, Daisy um, Edgar Jones. I Daisy Edgar Jones and uh, White Russell and um, Rory Culkin. Uh, like, there's so many good people in it. 
Uh, it's it's the Andrew Garfield show and Gil Birmingham, another great character actor of our time. Um, uh-huh. But it's it's really the Andrew Garfield show, but it is so good. Uh-huh. Okay, well, I will add that to the list too. Fantastic. Yeah, definitely, definitely worth your time. Um, but to come back to Lyft, it's fine. It's totally uh-huh. fine. It's a totally fine way to like. I would say it's better than the usual Netflix level of like put this yes. on while you're making dinner. Uh-huh. But it's Absolutely. not so much better that I would say sacrifice your Friday night to watch it. If that, you see where I'm sort of landing there? Like it's not. Yeah, totally. You're right that there is an art. Like if you compare it, just because this is a solid three star movie, there is so much that goes into making a good three star action heist movie. If you compare this to say Red Notice, which is dreadful because none of those elements are there. The the the, the script isn't there. The directions there. The editing's not there. And it's just drag there is a lot of skill that goes into making something this pacey and this sort of popcorny for want of a better word um so yeah I do, it, you're, you're right it is better than a lot of throwaway netflix movies mm-hmm. but like again if there's something new in a cinema you should probably go see the thing that made it to cinemas first <laughs> yeah probably you know i haven't I haven't seen The Beekeeper, but I would bet that I'd be more positive about The Beekeeper today if we had seen that. So, <coughs> which is, you know, the latest yes. Jason Statham action thing. I'm there. Like, that's all I need to see a movie is to yeah. be told it's the Jason Statham action thing. And honestly, my, my sincere hope here is that, like, somebody sees this and says, hey, remember that time that F. Gary Gray made a remake of uh, The Italian Job? Maybe we should. Maybe we should just let him do another one of those. Like, let's get the band back together and do another one of those. Because so, I I got a so this might trigger you slightly. I'm English, uh, yeah. in case you've mentioned noticed this before, which means uh, and I grew up watching English films, which means the Italian job is sacrosanct, and uh, I don't like Mark Wahlberg very much. So I haven't watched the remake out of principle of uh, the Italian job. Are you telling me I should actually watch that film? The Italian job remake is great. Um, I think part of it will. So I don't, I don't think, I think that comparing it to the original is very tough because the original is like so iconically good, but the Italian job remake is very much like this one in that the cast and crew and direction and editing really kind of make it better. And the cast is absolutely stacked. It's Mark Wahlberg, Charlize Theron, um, Edward Norton, Donald Sutherland, um, Jason Statham. Uh, huh. Mo's Def is great in it. Um, <laughs> Fantastic. And it's also a, I, one thing I've always... One thing that the, uh, the remake has that the original doesn't is a more complete ending. Like, the ending mm. of the original is a literal cliffhanger. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the the remake gets an actual resolution to the story um mm-hmm. and in a really satisfying way like in a really satisfying and thematically appropriate way it gets a really a really great a really complete ending um and if nothing else it's also just a ton of fun like they though the way that it's put together um it's a it's a really fun movie and i think it's another one where i think it's it's pre Mark Wahlberg as we know him today. It's pre like mm-hmm. character version of Mark Wahlberg. It's mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg actually, actually acting. You know, um, it's two thousand three. That's the sweet spot for action movies. Yeah, 
It's, you know, and Mark Wahlberg is one of those guys who he's either Mark Wahlberg or he's a brilliant actor. And I only like one of those two things. <laughs> and um, it's definitely in the in the latter category. Okay. So. Okay. But if, not, if nothing well, else, though, like it's a bunch of hot people pulling off a great heist. So just like it's a fun heist movie. It's a, it's it's 100% fun. You should definitely watch it. it. I take it as kid friendly. I think my kids would love that. What's the right? What's the? Oh no, it's totally kid friendly. There's like what's the thing? Oh, PG Fantastic. I think there's like one person gets shot, but it's very bloodless. That's fine. And there's some like implied violence, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I'll add it to the list. Good. Anyway, how many stars you giving this I mean, one? Three. This is a film that intentionally set out to be a great three star movie, and it is a great three star movie. So three yeah. stars from me. That is a great way to put it. It's definitely a solid, totally fine, well executed, but not transcendent version of this film. Um, yes. Three stars three all the way. Well? Three stars yeah. all the way. Yeah. Cool. Good. Lovely. Well, so, should we wrap it there? Have you got anything of note coming up this week in your on your view list that you're able to talk about? Nope. Not that I'm able to talk about. Okay. <laughs> I, I do have something that's happening in the next week or two that I'm very excited to be watching uh, as a writing assignment, but it doesn't come out until February, so it's very early. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I've rec- I recently, uh, I've got my, my one and two movies from uh, 2022. I now have them both on 4K uh, UHD, and which is Prey at number one and Moon Age Daydream at number two. And my kids um, are very, very uh, excited to watch more David Bowie anything. So that's going to be this week, I hope. Oh, yeah. You bought the Criterion Moon Age Daydream? I did. I yeah. did. Because <laughs> we're choice. made of money. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't not have that. It's incredible. So, I'm at a point where I, I now actually need to buy like a shelving unit for my blu-rays which feels pretty good do it do it oh that's a good palpatine impression yes thank you yeah somehow he's returned well thank you (laughs) that's just awful um (laughs) (laughs) and you know the best thing about that is that oscar isaac doesn't even hide how terrible that moment or line is yeah yeah, I mean, we could do a whole podcast yes. about Star Wars and its current. Anyway, let's not, let's not <laughs> jump into it now. Uh, well, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've liked what you've heard, there are several ways you could convey that to both us and your friends. Uh, one of which is tell your friends. Uh, another one of which is give us a rating on your podcasting platform of choice. Um a five-star review or a subscribe especially are the things that will lift us in the rankings and get us in front of more earballs. And if you can do those things, we'd be much obliged. And to all of our listeners in Bahrain last week, thank you for joining us. <laughs> sort of a random yeah, thing. You know, we usually chart pretty well in Canada, America, and weirdly Latvia, but now we've added Bahrain mm-hmm. to the list as the sort of unexpected places. But anyway, um, if you've also liked what you heard, the other thing you can do is support us more directly. And, uh, uh, well, actually, two things. One, support us more directly and talk about us on the social medias. Like, tell your friends on the social medias. You can find us uh, in all the places. But if you head to our our homepages, that is awesomefriday.ca for the show, temporarypen.com for Simon, and stretched.ca for me. And last but not least, you can um, 
support us via Patreon. We have one of those. It's patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Every week we post a bonus episode. Uh, this week, what did we talk about this week, Simon? We talked about um, uh, cinema memories and the um, the influence of movies around the early 2000s from Lord of the Rings and physical versus CG. It's a really yeah. interesting discussion and all of that. Yeah, the show, the, the bonus show is a little more freeform and a little more rambly, but uh, a lot of fun and we would love for you to hear it and you can hear it for as little as $2 Canadian per month. And that is, uh, as I said before, Bargain. that's only 40% of a cup of coffee here in Vancouver for a whole month. So uh, <laughs> please feel free to do that. There's higher tiers, obviously, but that's where they start. Um, last but not least, we are uh, in Vancouver on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam and Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. And uh, we'd like to say thank you so much for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye. <laughs>